Good morning. You're looking a bit serious. Don't worry. Um, I'm Malcolm Duncan. I have the privilege of leading the church here. And it is a real honor, a real joy, and a real privilege to do that. Um, I'd like you to turn to two parts of the, the Bible, if you can. The first is Ephesians chapter 3. And the second is Isaiah chapter 6 in the Old Testament. Ephesians chapter 3. On Sunday last week, we shared that God, we believe, has given us a couple of verses to shape us through this year. And I want to read them with you this morning again. It's the end of Paul's second prayer for the Ephesian church. Ephesians chapter 3. Now, verse 20. Now all glory, I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning, by the way. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now turn back, please, to Isaiah chapter 6. The events that I'm about to describe to you took place in 740 BC. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I, the writer is Isaiah, who was a prince probably in the um, household of um, the southern kingdom and also a prophet of God. He was prophesying or ministering at the same time as a man called Micah, who is also in the Old Testament um, and has a book that carries his message but Micah was poor and spoke to poor men and poor women Isaiah was wealthy powerful and influential and spoke into his circle it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord he was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple attending him were mighty seraphim each having six wings with two wings they covered their faces With two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with the burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, I am here, send me. And he said, yes, go and say to this people, listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of those people. Plug their ears and shut their eyes, that that way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing. Then I said, Lord, how long will this go on? And he replied, until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland. 
until the Lord has sent everyone away and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. If even a tenth, a remnant survive, it will be invaded again and burned. But as a terebinth or an oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. Amen. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and his infallible word. I have a sense that this morning, God wants to say something to this church family in this space. But I also have a sense that he wants to say something to his church in this province and in our nation. And I say that with a great degree of trepidation, nervousness, and as much humility as I can muster. First, let me reflect with you on what we read in Ephesians chapter 3 to help you understand the context. Across January, I want to, on Sunday mornings, explore these two verses with you that God has given to us as a church family. Now to him be all the glory. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Ephesus as a, as a city was one of the um, sites of the, a wonder of the ancient world. One of the great temples was there, the temple of Diana. And people traveled as much as they could 2,000 years ago to see this temple that was laden with beauty. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of um, temple priests and prophets and priestesses and all kinds of servants and staff. Not only was that remarkable temple there, but across Ephesus, it was full of temples. It was full of big temples, small temples, little temples. They were covered in marble and gold and uh, silver, and they were ornate, they were decorated, they were, they were on every street corner. It was known as a city of temples. It was known as a temple city, actually. And in the midst of all of that, God called together through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, a small group of people who became his, the followers of Jesus Christ. Many of them came from a Jewish background. Some of them came from a Gentile background. And Paul writes this letter to them to help them to understand who they are. Many of them had come from slave backgrounds or from poor backgrounds or from economically challenging backgrounds. Many had been disempowered by this fabulous city. They were an eclectic bunch of women and men and girls and boys that came from every strata of Ephesian society. And they must have wondered, where's our influence in the world? How could God use us? What have we got to give to wider society? We're not that great. We're a bunch of misfits and people that are challenged and have not got very little material wealth or um, connections that can influence. We're just a bunch of ordinary people. Paul in Ephesians 3, 20, 21 reminds them that God in the midst of them can do immeasurably more than they can ask or think according to the power of God at work within them. When I look out across Dundonald Elam, <laughs> How do I say this without you ending up getting offended? I don't mean to offend you at all, but we are just a bunch of ordinary people. And you might say to me, I don't have lots of money. I don't have lots of influence. I don't have lots of power. I don't have lots of connections. 
But I want to say back to you what the Apostle Paul said back to the Ephesians. This isn't about just what you have. This whole adventure of faith that we make together is not just about all of your natural resources. It's not about just how much money you've got or how many people you know or how many um, houses you have or how many gifts and experiences you've got. This journey of faith that God is calling us onto as a church family across this next decade, and I am looking forward to it, is about who God is. It's about the power of God at work amongst us. And God, if we will let him, if we will dare to believe it, can do something in this fellowship that you and I have no understanding of whatsoever. And all he needs is us to say, we want you to be central. We want you not just to be central in our gatherings. We want you to be central in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces. One of the things that I am looking forward to exploring with you across this next year is the wonderful gift of where you are when you are not here. Your scattered life is where the majority of your ministry will be worked out if you are a Christian, whether it's selling uniforms in Glengormley, running businesses in Belfast, working in the hospital or the school, studying at university, helping in a special needs school with children that others have written off, and you are there every day, every week, as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, whether it's cutting hair, including mine, or any one of a number of other things. God has placed you somewhere so that you can be his hands and feet. But it's about you and I allowing him to work through us. About remembering that when we gather together, the most important person that is here is God. In the presence and in the form of his Holy Spirit. Moving from seat to seat, speaking into each heart and each life. All glory to God, Paul says. He roots his prayer in Ephesians 3 in who God is, who through his mighty power at work within us is able to accomplish infinitely more that we might ask or think. Who is the center of the sentence? God is. Who is the prime mover in that sentence? God is. Who is the one that does the work? God is. Who is the one that accomplishes anything in this prayer? God is. Who will build Dundonald Elam across the next year? God will. Will it be about our reputation? No. Will it be about us? Never. It should always be about God. About his grace, about his mercy, about his power, about his purposes and plans. It's never about Malcolm Duncan's reputation or Pip Kerr's reputation or Davy Hume's or Tyler Rawson's or the Donald Elam's or the Elam movements. It's always about God. It's always about his grace and his mercy. And he is able to do far more. Do you see the phrase? Far more than you can ask or imagine. It's as if... We bring a thimble to God and say, could you fill this? And he says, from which ocean would you like me to fill it? We bring a 
a scrap of our sin and say, God, are you strong enough to forgive this sin? Can you, can you wash away this dirt in my soul? Would you be willing to do that? And he, he says back, I, could, I, I, want to, I want to hold you in a Niagara Falls of grace that not only deals with that little thing that you think is absolutely unmovable, but gives you new life. That, that completely transforms you. It's like we bring our past to God and say, you know, I've got a past. I've got stuff that I've done in the past and I'm not sure that God could ever use me because of that. Have you read the Bible? David, Abraham, Jacob, Samson, Paul, Mary Magdalene, Ruth, Rahab, Rebecca, Leah, I could go through dozens of names of women and men whose pasts are far more broken than yours and mine. And God used them. He has that power. And he has that desire. And he has that purpose for you. Not just when we gather together, but when you are apart. So why did I read Isaiah chapter 6 to you this morning? Well, there are two things that I want to, three things that I want to say about the connection between, in my head this week, the passage from Ephesians and what God might want to say to us through Isaiah. The first thing is about posturing ourselves as a church in responsiveness to God. I think one of the things that he has said most clearly to us is that we must be responders, that we must let him speak and respond to what he wants to say and do. And I've been thinking this week about that quite a lot. And bear with me as I explain this first point to you. If you have sat in as many meetings as I have, um, and sometimes loved them and sometimes thought, oh dear God, if you would like to return at any point in the next 20 minutes, I will not even be remotely offended. What amazes me about that is, and those of you that are Christians, can I speak to you for a minute? You must have been in some pretty boring meetings. You're saying, I'm sitting in one of them now, Malcolm, thank you. <laughs> Do you know what amazes me about God? He's never missed one. I mean, that's resilience. He has never missed one. In 50 years of this church's gathering, he's never missed a meeting. Isn't that amazing? And he never will. At the end of business meetings, those of you that are used to business meetings or committee meetings or charity meetings or organizing committees and all that type of thing, which can be equally enthralling, can't they? (laughs) What's normally the last item on those types of meetings? AOB, exactly. You said that with conviction. Any other business? That's the bit where I talk. That's the bit where you talk. Uh, yes, well, let's move on. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. There's so much I could say. I want to reflect with you for a moment on those three initials. And I, I know it'll sound twee to you, but I want to root them in both um, Ephesians 3 and Isaiah chapter 6. Let our AOB be different. 
Let's not leave God to the end of the meeting. Let's not leave what he wants to say to the end of the meeting. Let's not leave the prophetic to the end of the meeting. Why is it in many meetings across the charismatic and Pentecostal church of which I am gladly and happily a part, God only speaks in the last 10 minutes? I'll tell you why it is. It's because we come unprepared. That's why it is. We come and have to go through the process of allowing God to speak to us because we haven't taken the time to get on our knees and come to that meeting ready to engage with what God wants to say. I want to suggest an alternative to any other business. I want to suggest to you that God is calling us as a church to be attentive, obedient, and to believe that he has got something to say to us. That we will be attentive to his spirit. We will be attentive to every scripture that we read this year. We will be attentive to his presence, attentive to his purposes, attentive to what he is doing amongst us, attentive to what's happening in our souls, attentive to the songs that we are singing, attentive to the things that we are doing in our services, that we will turn our posture towards him in attentiveness and that we will be obedient to what he says. And if he says jump, we don't say, hold on a minute. We've got several questions of why we should jump right now and how high we should jump. We need you to prove to us in an investigative journalistic fashion that you want us to jump. I think we should ask really good questions. I think we should be not afraid to say, is what God's saying to us through his word prophetically or through the gifts or something else confirmed? I think we should be investigating. I think we should be robust. I don't want us to be a church or a community full of people that say yes to everything. I don't ever want you to be a community that says, well, if the pastor asks us, it must be God. That's not true. Pastors get it wrong. If you hear somebody prophesying into your life this year, If you hear prophecy in our church fellowship this year, and I hope you do, and it begins with the first person, don't dismiss it and say, well, they shouldn't be using that kind of language, but don't just accept it because they've said, I, the Lord, say something to you. You have a responsibility to search scripture on that. My own preference is that we never use first person when we are sharing what God might be saying. But we always say, I believe God might be saying this. Because that gives us the freedom to say, well, I have to search what you're saying to me against this word. Because what you're saying might not be right, but this word is right. This word is true. This word will guide. God has given this word as our benchmark. That's what the word canon means, plumb line. In Greek, the canon of scripture, the 66 books, are the word of God written that will guide us in all matters of doctrine, faith, and practice. Much of the Pentecostal and charismatic church are forgetting that. They're allowing themselves to become a group of people who run after the sporadic, the spontaneous, and the instantaneous rather than be rooted in this. This is where we're rooted, sisters and brothers. That we will be attentive to what God says, obedient to what he asks. And when he says jump, our response is high, high. When he says go, our response is where? When he says give, our response is how much? When he says trust, we reach out our hand. To posture ourselves in responsiveness to the Holy Spirit isn't an idea. It's a set of lifestyle choices and practices and pragmatic convictions that shape what we look like day to day. 
A responsive person to the Holy Spirit will look at their diary and say, Lord, how do I honor you with this diary? How do I honor you? They'll look at their bank balance and say, why is it I'm spending more money on the gym than I am on your work? They'll look at their relationships and say, why is it I criticize the church for not being loving enough? But I'm never there. I'm never part of it. I'm not engaged in it. A responsive person to the Holy Spirit takes seriously what God might be saying. And allows him to shape not just what we do for an hour on a Sunday in the morning, a couple of hours in the evening, but shape everything we are and everything we do. Attentive, obedient, and believing. To believe that God is amongst us. To believe that whether you feel him or not, he's here. That whether you have some kind of emotional response, you will live out of the conviction that God is here. To allow yourself to be shaped by such simple principles transforms everything. That's exactly what happened to Isaiah. In 740 BC, this prince encountered God. In the year that King Uzziah died, rooted in time and history and in culture, rooted in a specific set of circumstances, Isaiah says, I saw God. And those circumstances were not easy. They were not straightforward. They were politically, socially, and economically complex. There was a huge gap between the haves and the have-nots of the Jewish society that Isaiah was part of in Jerusalem, which is where he was based. And in the midst of his circumstances, God encountered him. And it changed his life. Isaiah, I think, is describing his call to prophetic ministry. And what he sees is a holy, powerful, gracious, merciful, forgiving, and present God. I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And smoke filled the temple. And the the pillars of the temple shook with the power and presence of God. I don't believe that's a metaphor. I think those things actually happened I said about 18 months ago I have an old cassette tape somewhere of a woman in the Hebridean revival praying and as you see prays you can hear the windows and the walls begin to shake this shrill little Gaelic voice cries out to God and the whole building shakes with the power of God on Friday morning I read from Acts chapter 4 that talks about the moment when um, the believers in Jerusalem cry out to God, and we're told this toward the end of the chapter, and the place where they were gathered shook. Now, you might call me naive, and you might call me simplistic, and you might say, you're not even contextually relevant anymore. I want to be in this building when it shakes with the power of God. I want to be on my knees in my room or in my study, and the windows to rattle because God is present. And I think it's possible. I want to be like Isaiah, postured in an encounter with God that will transform us together and me individually. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Not Israel, me. His prophetic ministry changed Israel, but Isaiah had an encounter with God 
the church of Jesus Christ in Northern Ireland needs an encounter with God. We do not need simply more meetings. We don't even need simply more preaching, although we do need more preaching. We need an encounter with God. And Isaiah's encounter changed him. I don't have time this morning to go through all the elements of it, but if you stop and reflect on this for just a few moments, you will realize how powerful, beautiful, and utterly undoing and transforming this encounter was. He sees the greatness of God. And do you notice what God says to him, or the angels say to him in verse 3? The earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. Not will be. Is. Where's God's glory in Northern Ireland today? When will it come? It's already here. God's glory is on the streets of Belfast this morning. His glory is around the world this morning. The fact that we don't always see it is not God's fault. In his providence and in his mercy, he may be concealing that glory from us. But God is not waiting for some time in the future to be at work in this province. God is at work in this province. God is at work in his church. God is at work in the Presbyterian church and in the Church of Ireland and in every other church across this country that honors his name and glorifies him and seeks to pursue him. He's doing something. And that realization that God is at work changes what we do when we gather together. Not only does he see the greatness of God and the glory of God and the power of God and the presence of God, but he sees the forgiving nature of God as God sends an angel with a coal to touch his lips. And what does the angel say to him? Your guilt is atoned for. Your sin is forgiven. What? How can that be possible? Maybe I'm the only person that gets excited about that. How could God forgive me? Could it be true? And if it's true, then everything is changed. And out of that encounter, God says that he is looking to do something in the nation. And he says, who will I send? And Isaiah immediately says, send me, send me, send me, send me, send me. He's like the youngster at school that's desperate to get in the team. Those of you that are teachers. Does anybody know? Before you even get to the question, somebody's got their hand up. I always would want to say in that moment, Einstein's general theory of relativity to the seven-year-old. Because if they're that keen, they'll know, won't they? But Isaiah's keen. The touch from God makes him available. It makes him attentive. A... And God's call on this man is awful in human terms. Go tell the people that they're never going to hear, never going to listen, and never going to obey. Yeah, sign me up. Your ministry will be a failure in the eyes of the world. Yay! But Isaiah's obedient. And he believes it. He believes that God is at work. To set the cultural context, to help you understand it, as I said 25 minutes or so ago, this word was spoken in 740 BC. 18 years later, in 722 BC, 
The Assyrian Empire swept down on the northern kingdom and took them into captivity. And they never returned. A hundred or so years after that, the Babylonians took the southern kingdom of Judah, where Isaiah was, into captivity. And they, were, they lost everything for 70 years. God told them he would do it in 740. And they didn't believe it. Do you know why? They were complacent. God would never hurt us. God would never let us go through heartbreak. God would never strip us. God would never take us out of our homeland. God, he might do that to the, the terrible northerners, but he'll never do it to us. We're God's special people. He's never going to let anything bad happen to us. Well, he did. And jump forward a few hundred years. And as God's people try to work out how this all makes sense, the fact that somebody told them helps them. I am praying for a profound revival on the island of Ireland and in the continent of Europe. And I believe with all of my heart that it will happen. But things might get worse before they get better. This province may not have plumbed the depths of our sin yet. And across this year and across this decade, God is calling, God is calling the Church of Jesus Christ on the island of Ireland to an encounter with Him. Not to more services but to an encounter with him. I want Dundonald Elam to be part of the movement that says we will pursue God no matter what. We will follow him no matter what. We will stand for truth no matter what. Our assembly was up and running again yesterday. I feel like shouting, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. But there are many challenges about that assembly that we need to pray for our politicians. And pray for those that are in power and pray that they address some of the fundamental issues of our society. Teachers that need their wages sorted out. Nurses that need proper pay. Waiting lists that need to be reduced. People that are waiting on social care packages that need to get help. Folk that have been relying on um, services provided by our society that have been crumbling and falling apart. We've got to fix those things. Those are spiritual issues as much as anything else. And we must not, as a church, stand on the sideline of that. We must work out a way of standing at the center of our society for justice, for the poor, for the excluded. Yesterday morning, I took time to write to... I was watching it on a BBC Parliament whilst I was um, making something to eat. And I cut my finger a couple of times. It was, some of it was really interesting and some of it wasn't. <laughs> but I wrote yesterday afternoon to every new minister... Assuring them of our prayers. I wrote to the speaker, assuring him of our prayers. We are one of the closest churches to that building. What would God have us to do with that building? With the people that work in it? Ignore it. Or see ourselves as placed here by God to pray for them. And to pray that God would guide them and protect them. Because when the righteous govern, the just rejoice. One of the most significant hospitals on this island is less than a kilometer from here. How do we serve that hospital? 
How are we attentive to what God might be doing just up the road? Is a special needs school? How do we engage with them? How do we serve them and support them and help them? What would it look like? The Church of Jesus Christ on the island of Ireland is being called into a new season of encounter with God. We are gearing ourselves up, positioning ourselves here as a church family that we might be responsive to what God wants. Not just when we gather, but when we are apart. And what might God say to you? How can you be attentive to him in your everyday life? How can you be obedient to him? And how might you believe that God is at work in you? I don't think we simply stand on the edge of an exciting year because we're doing some building work. We stand on the edge of an exciting year because God is building something in us. And he wants to work through us in a powerful way. I'm going to ask you to take a few moments to do something now. If you've got a bit of paper and a pen, then you can feel free to use it. What might God be saying to you about this year? Write it down. On your phone. On a bit of paper. That word that Pastor Davy tried to help us to remember last Sunday night. What might God be asking of you this year? Pay attention to his voice. And how can you be obedient to that? For some of you, obedience might look like finding another church because God's calling you to it. Your season in our fellowship might be coming to an end. Do you know what? We're not going to hold you here with chains. We're a fellowship that wants you to flourish in the hands of God. For some, 
And I think this is probably the first time I've said this since coming here to Dundonald. Because I never ask people to attend the church that I'm in. I never ask them to commit to it. For some of you, you need to commit to Dundonald. You need to step from the edges toward the center. Some of you, obedience will look like saying yes to what God's asking you to do. Some will, it will look like saying no, because people are pressuring you to do something that God doesn't want you to do. Some husbands and wives need to rebuild some altars. Some people need to start spending less and saving more. Obedience to God looks like a thousand different things. Some of you need to start giving to God's work. Some of you need to step up to leadership. Some of you need to step into your family. Some of you need to start businesses. Some of you need to think about going into politics. Some of you need to go into that area of medicine that God's calling you to. Some of you need to see the beauty in the community around you. There's a thousand answers to this question. They're not all churchy. What does obedience to God look like for you? And will you by faith believe that God has said something to you? And build your choices and your priorities across this year, not based on feelings, but on conviction. God has spoken. AOB. Good way to end a meeting. Attentive, obedient, and believing.